0: Hi, and welcome to The Savvy Psychologist. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, your host, and I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. This week on The Savvy Psychologist, I am delighted to welcome my first ever guest, Dr. Lisa Miller. And what a first guest to snag. Dr. Miller is a professor of psychology and education at Columbia University Teachers College and the director of the Spirituality Mind-Body Institute. Next month, she'll release a fantastic new book called The Spiritual Child, the new science on parenting for health and lifelong thriving. So as a researcher, Dr. Miller has accomplished an extraordinary feat. She studies spirituality, and she's taken this undefined and elusive topic and made it not only understandable, but applicable. It's spirituality ready for action. So today we're in for a treat. We'll ask Dr. Miller six questions about encouraging and supporting spirituality in our kids. So Dr. Miller, thank you so much for being on the show today. it's
1: terrific to be here with you, Dr. Hendrickson.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so let's get right into it. So to, to start off, so we often hear spirituality defined simply as not religion, as in I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. So if you can, let's get everyone on the same page. How do you define spirituality? That is really the cornerstone
1: of the spiritual child. Spirituality is in our birthright. It is a natural capacity in every single one of us, just like we have a natural cognitive endowment, a natural physical or emotional endowment. So too, we are born with a natural capacity for spirituality, by which I mean a sense of connection to something bigger that is guiding and loving and good. For some people, It might be by the name of God, Allah, the creator. For other people, it might be in nature, or they may use the word the universe, but a sense that we have a felt awareness of being in relationship to our higher power is really the cornerstone of spirituality.
0: Okay. So it sounds like spirituality is innate in all of us. It is.
1: And yet you raise a very important point that spirituality can be embraced and cultivated Through religion, but it doesn't need to be. For many people, spirituality is very much experienced through their family faith tradition. But for many other people, spirituality exists outside of religion, and they may feel spiritual in nature or among their family or with other people. Spirituality, both groups are spiritual.
0: Yes. And so, so you mentioned um, like being out in nature or being with a family group. And so in, in uh, an increasingly secular world, uh, what, what do kids gain from learning spirituality or, or, since it's innate, maintaining their natural spirituality? So why is it important for kids in particular to be spiritual?
1: For nearly two decades, I've investigated spiritual development in kids, both in our natural formation and as a resource for thriving and as highly protective against suffering. And it turns out that there really is nothing known to the medical or social sciences as profoundly
0: helpful for kids as a core spirituality. Okay. So let's think about the families for a moment. So many parents these days have either perhaps rejected the religion in which they were brought up, or maybe were raised without a faith tradition. So how can parents who are spiritual but not religious guide their children? And what do you recommend for parents who are less than comfortable with religion?
1: So for every single parent, it is well within our wheelhouse to teach our children to speak and to teach them the names of the world around us, to, an apple or a banana when they're young and as they get older to label feelings. Well, so too, we can jump right in and give spiritual names to our experiences and feelings that are of great significance. We can say, this sunset makes me feel this deep, sacred feeling. Or when I am with you and the family around the table, I just feel it's very, very special. There's a sense of our sacred family here. Certainly with the birth of a child, there's a sense of spirituality that can be given that name or whatever name the family's comfortable with right there in the moment for the older siblings.
0: So it sounds like uh, there's a teaching of a spiritual vocabulary or helping children become fluent in spirituality, as it were.
1: I think that's a wonderful place to start. It's so natural to simply run a narrative on our own daily lives because we're already doing it as parents. There's other ways too. I mean, for instance, we can help a child learn the inner landscape of their spiritual life. We can use words like, what does your spiritual compass say? Or what does your higher self say? In a way that's age appropriate for a young child or a middle school child and eventually a teen.
0: I love that concept. Uh, there's of uh, the spiritual compass. And then in your book also, I also love the concept of ceiling ethics. So trying to model for children high ethical standards through which we can connect to one another or to a higher presence. Can you give some examples of how we can demonstrate ceiling ethics in everyday Absolutely.
1: life? So I, I'm thrilled that you keyed into that point. I think that simply staying out of trouble is not much of a way to live. That's the floor <laughs> ethics you respond to. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. And that it possible for parents to help envision a higher way of living pointing that out in our daily lives when we live up to it and when people around us live up to a higher standard of contribution a higher standard of care for instance if i get into a snag with the barista at starbucks i can walk off in a huff or i can go back with my child by my side and apologize and say i'm so sorry i was edgy and that was my fault Then turn to my child and say, you know what? Sometimes even people who try to live up to spiritual values falter. I really blew that one. But what we can do is fix it. So daily exchanges can be repaired and narrated to our child as living up to a higher standard of care for one another. Another example, if you see someone on the street, a homeless person, go with your child, buy the food, walk back to the homeless person, And give it to them. Let your child be the agent of contribution. Let your child have that extraordinary feeling, really the spiritual feeling of contributing to other people's lives. These are all opportunities in front of us every day as parents to show that life can be much more than simply our own scope of success, our own scope of fulfillment, but that really there's a higher bar and your child will very quickly be excited to help build that with you.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like it's not only the, the didactic, it's, it's not only teaching kids to be spiritual, but it's also modeling that for them as well.
1: And as so, you're saying, let them, let them come up with their own great ideas.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's another concept um, in the book that I also really admire, and that's your concept. Ugh, let me back up. So there's another concept in the book that I also really admire, and that's your concept of a field of love. So from what I understand, so connecting with a larger community in which your child can learn and grow spiritually. And it it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this can be almost any loving group. So extended family, fellow members of a religious institution, a close-knit community, any loving group of people. Can you talk more about the importance of a field of love for growing children's spirituality and also how to build one? The field of
1: love is the human relationship plus the sacred presence through that relationship. So the relationship between, say, a grandparent and a grandchild, there's this deep sense of love that is so profound and unconditional. It is the very same taste of the ultimate love, the love of the creator, the love Mm. of the sacred presence. That feeling for the child is oftentimes interchangeable. Um, A young adult will say something like, my grandmother, she loved me. I mean, she loved me so much. So when I think of God, it's sort of God and my grandma all rolled up into one. Hmm. That's how profound the feeling is. Now, what I like about the field as the model for this fusion of sacred love and human love is that it's open and inclusive. There's room in the field for truly a dedicated, loving babysitter, an adoring teacher, a mentor, a cousin who factors into our lives in a profound way. The field holds more people, each in their own unique way, as multiple sources of love and connection. And it's a consistent model with how young parents often think we live in fields, whether we're thinking of the internet, whether we're thinking of energy, we're comfortable with the notion we live in a field. The 20th century view of bonding between parent and child is still helpful, but it's much too much like a one-to-one correspondent phone line where only one special person gets to hold the other end of the line. Now... It can be passed, perhaps, the telephone from mom to dad or dad to grandma, but the notion that somehow others are secondary is implicit in the bonding model. The field holds people. It holds people equally and uniquely, and it really is a much more contemporary notion of how family is made. I mean, family is made of love and commitment. Family is built from intention. It's not built from how we pass our genes alone.
0: Yes, I, I love the concept. Um, and so just to, to wrap up, so if you will, let's end with uh, some research and also a story. So, so regular listeners to the podcast are a sophisticated group when it comes to the research. And so if you can, can you touch on the findings of your 1997 study on mothers and children and depression? And can you talk about how you came to find the answer to your research question on the subway of all places?
1: Well, thank you for noticing that. I'm thrilled you keyed right into that, Dr. Hendrickson. In 1996 and 1997, i seven, I'd been grappling for some time from the perspective of epidemiology on how spirituality takes hold in a child and may be a source of thriving and resilience. And then one morning on the subway, um, a grandmother and granddaughter walked on, who were clearly a team. They were dressed in similar clothes and they walked in stride together. And they taught every single one of us on the subway what it is to have spiritual values in the way that they so generously showed interest and care for a homeless man. And then looking at this team, the grandmother and the granddaughter together had a clear sense of spiritual values. It wasn't just that the granddaughter had spiritual values or that the grandmother had spiritual values. It's that together as a team, they moved through the world sharing spiritual values. And that tipped me off when I ended that subway ride and got to the lab. I ran the numbers thinking of this really sort of royal pair, the team of grandma and grandpa. And what I found was that When spirituality is passed through the generations, it is a far greater resource than when it lives in any single person alone. Operationally, what I did was I looked at concordance of spiritual life between parent and child. And quite specifically, when there is concordance between parent and child, on spiritual life there is an eightfold greater protective benefit of that spirituality to the child than when it's simply in the child or the parent it is in the family connection it is in the bond of love and life lived together that spirituality takes hold deeply engages the development of the child and has the most powerful effects on thriving and health
0: so it's that connection between them it's it's not whether spirituality is within one or the other it's that that interconnectedness.
1: Exactly. And that is where the notion of the field of love comes, that it's spirituality in the space between us, in the love that bonds us, that
0: is so profoundly powerful in the child's life. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed talking with you. It's a pleasure to speak with you, Dr. Hendrickson. Thanks. So Dr. Lisa Miller is a clinical psychologist, professor, researcher, mom of three, and now the author of The Spiritual Child, the new science on parenting for health and lifelong thriving. And you can find out more about the book and find a link to buy your own copy on the podcast website, quickanddirtytips.com savvy psychologist. If you've learned something from a Savvy Psychologist episode, let me know by subscribing. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, or subscribe to the newsletter at quickanddirtytips.com newsletters. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and next week we'll finish out our three-part series, so get ready for toxic habit number three. In the meantime, a transcript of the episode and more than a year's worth of Savvy Psychologist archives are always available on quickanddirtytips.com savvy hyphen psychologist. Of course, the Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thank you again. I'll see you next week for a happier, healthier mind.